0: chapter 10 ready Luke 12:49 and 50 I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed I have never really liked any of those movies people have made about Jesus Those movies always seem to depict him as some kind of relationally inaccessible religious sage that normal people wouldn't feel comfortable around. He sometimes comes across in those movies as boring, unapproachable, or else just really weird. Some movies represent Jesus as a kind of counterculture hippie, and in some versions he seems to kind of magically float through the scenes in that perfectly pristine white robe. Pretty much all of those movies portray Jesus as a really good-looking white dude. Sometimes he even has blue eyes, even though we all know the real Jesus was born in the Middle East where there were no sign of any Norse genetic traits. Those movies about Jesus somehow always tell us more about the filmmakers than they really do about Jesus. What I mean is, when a person portrays Jesus in a film or in a painting, They can't help filling in the gaps of conversation and mood and tone that aren't in the scriptures, so they wind up highlighting their own values. One filmmaker who made a movie about Jesus said that he wanted Jesus to be the best-looking person in the movie. (laughs) That doesn't mean Jesus was physically attractive. It just means that appearance is important to that director. There's actually only one place in the Bible that talks specifically about Jesus's appearance. And that's a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 53, verse two, which says he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. Hmm. I think the thing that bothers me the most about those Jesus movies, though, is the way the old ones make Jesus the perfect little church boy. What I mean is if you watch Jesus movies that were made like 30 years ago or more, you have to keep turning the volume up. Every time Jesus opens his mouth, he's so calm and chill that he almost seems sedated. Now in the church where I grew up, people would say, this is exactly as it should be. Those folks would say that Jesus was showing all of us crazy, rambunctious kids, how a person is supposed to behave in church. In those movies, Jesus was teaching us that holiness is quiet, reserved, respectful, and doesn't disturb anyone. (laughs) Righteousness doesn't get fired up, and it certainly doesn't lose its cool or raise its voice. Now, this vision of Jesus's personality as a kind of Lord of the librarians fits perfectly within the second chapter of the Westminster Confession of Faith, which says that God is, and I quote, without passions. That confession was a document that people were taught and expected to memorize and build their lives on. And one of the things they were taught is that God doesn't have emotions. Now, the only problem with that teaching, of course, is, well, the unified testimony of basically the entire Bible. All you have to do is pick that book up and read it to realize that God is the most emotional person in the whole thing. God burns with passion and emotion. He loves, he grieves, he laughs, mocks, cries, and fumes with anger. The kinds of folks who wrote the Westminster Confession would say that describing God as emotional is a way of attributing human characteristics to God. But what if it's actually the other way around? I mean, he was here first. He felt things way before we ever did. Jesus wasn't boring. He wasn't emotionally inaccessible. He wasn't some sort of elitist religious sage that normal people didn't feel comfortable around. All you have to do is pick up the New Testament and read it to realize that Jesus was the life of the party. He told jokes in his sermons and sobbed at funerals. Everywhere he went, crowds appeared flocking to be near him. Little kids were constantly hanging off of Jesus. And if you've ever spent any time around kids, you'll know that they don't approach boring, disengaged people. One time, the religious leadership sent temple guards to arrest Jesus, and these dudes came back empty-handed with huge smiles on their faces. The leadership asked the guards, where's Jesus? Why don't you have him? And the guards just said, (laughs) You don't get it. Nobody talks like this guy. He's amazing. Luke tells us in chapter 12 that on one occasion near the time of the cross, Jesus became very emotional with his disciples. He said, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. That word that we've translated distressed, it's used a lot in the New Testament. And other times that it's used, we've translated it to grip, to crowd, to press hard, to control, to cover tightly or to devote yourself completely to. Jesus was saying, there's something I have to do. And I'm ready for it. Right now. I'm focused. I'm gritting my teeth. I'm clenching my fists until it's done. Every fiber of his being and every thought in his brain was bearing down, prepared to face suffering of body and soul unlike anything we have ever imagined or will ever face. He was going to be racked with pain, brought down with humiliation, and then abandoned to the outer darkness of eternal damnation. I mean, he would be dragged out of the city, cast into the dark and turned out of God's fellowship. He was going to hell for us. Can you imagine knowing that that would happen to you? Jesus was fuming with emotion. He was boiling over with tension, focus, and readiness. He was ready. He was devoting himself to what was about to happen to him. He was going to the cross and he said, how distressed I am until it is completed. That word completed is the same word. He screamed from the cross when he had paid for all our sin. He opened up his mouth and said, it is finished. He paid for our sin to win us back. He paid to get our sin out of the way. He endured everything so that he could know and love us forever. Is that what he was gearing up for? Is that why he was so emotional? Was there some joy mingled into that distressed focus? Was Jesus clenching his fists for the worst, because he was that much closer to having you? Was Jesus really saying, I have to do something. It's going to be the thing that finally brings us together. And I can't wait. I can't sleep until it's finished. We're almost there. I can taste it just a little longer until we're together forever. Thank you, Lord. For more on this, get yourself to a quiet place. Read Luke 12, 49 through 53. Think about what Jesus knew he was facing. Think about the fact that he was looking forward to making you his very own. How do you feel knowing how much he longed for you? Go ahead and tell him about it.